0: guys. In college, people always joked about not dating Michael Davis or you'd end up as a sermon illustration. I did not listen to that, obviously. (laughs) But nobody warned me about being asked to actually give the sermon, so this is a new one for me. But I'm truly honored to talk with you guys today. As Michael said, you obviously know what he does, but you might not know about what I do. When we're out with people, people will see what he does and they will look at me and they'll say do you work And why yes I do and I make more money than he does so (laughs) but I don't always talk about what I do because sometimes I struggle to explain it so I am a compliance officer at a bank and I can already tell boredom confusion (laughs) but you know I usually just joke about it and tell people that I tell people no all day that's my job but Really, what I do is I read new regulations, I figure out how they work together with the existing rules that the bank has to follow. I interpret, train, create reference material, answer questions, then I perform reviews to make sure that we're complying with all of those rules and regulations, keeping us out of trouble with the government agencies that monitor the bank. The tricky part about all of that is that the people that write these rules don't often talk to each other. They work for different agencies, and they often don't take into account what else is written on a subject before they make new rules. They even define terms differently. So if somebody were to ask me how do I know if my loan application is complete, I have to look at three different rules and three different definitions for an application. It's very crazy. So, without boring you to death, usually my answer starts with, it depends on why you're asking. I need to understand the context before I can give an accurate answer. And sometimes, the law is silent. Sometimes, the question isn't specifically addressed in the law. The law doesn't say that we can't do it, but it also doesn't say we can. It leaves room for interpretation. So what do I do in these situations? I have to look at the spirit of the law What was the writer trying to accomplish when they wrote this law? So when I can understand why they wrote the law I can provide better guidance on what I think is the right thing to do Because even in banking Silence is not a get-out-of-jail-free card And this is something that I do struggle with when it comes to Jesus's new commandments His new covenant law, he told us in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Michael talks about this all the time. Pastor West talked about it last week. 613 commands, became obsolete and they were replaced with this simple and rememberable law love God and love people Then Jesus dies He's raised from the dead and he leaves and people are left with this law love God and love people They were also told that Jesus had died for their sins the debt of their past sins their future sins had been forgiven No more sacrifices needed to be made. This was very interesting to them, and they were left with a lot of questions. Now, followers knew the answers to obvious questions. Should I murder my husband when he is driving me crazy? No, but can I be angry with him? Can I show an embarrassing picture of him when I preach? No. Those questions don't come with easy answers. Those questions don't come with convenient Bible verses. There are some things that the Bible is silent about. The law does not say we can't do it, but it also doesn't say we can. When there isn't a clear Bible verse that is a yes, you can do that, or a no, do that and you will for sure go to hell. What do we do? How do we decide if the decision that we are making is right or wrong? We have to interpret the silence. You see, when things are black and white, it's obvious. If it's not black, it's white. Or if it's not wrong, then it must be right. But black and white leaves room for loopholes. I can always find a way to get away with what I want to do or explain why my way is actually better. When the law is silent or gray, it touches everything. The law was meant to include all situations, new and old. And this is why the Apostle Paul became so important. For those of you who don't know, Paul was a persecutor of Christians turned leader of the first century church. And one of the reasons that people leaned into Paul was that he was an interpreter of the silence. He explained, interpreted, trained, created reference material, answered questions. He was the first New Covenant compliance officer. <laughs> yeah. And because of this, he commonly had to write letters to the churches that he had visited. And one of those churches was in Corinth. Corinth was having a hard time they looked at the law and they interpreted it as anything goes especially if I have good intentions in Paul's first letter to the people of Corinth he started off by warning the people not to do all of the bad things that the Israelites had done that had terrible consequences He said you should not test Christ as some of them did do not grumble as some of them did and so on Those were obvious things that God was against that had obvious consequences. But there was an underlying issue here that Paul was trying to address that was prevalent at the time. It was called hyper grace. You see, Jesus had freed them from the legalistic practices of the Old Testament, those 613 commands were gone. And people thought being free in Christ meant they could do literally anything. They had an attitude that presumed that since Christ had freed them, he had abolished the law of Moses, he had forgiven all of their sins, that they could do anything they wanted with arguably no consequences. How many times have you made a decision knowing full well that it was wrong, just because you knew you could ask for forgiveness later and your slate would be wiped clean? You see, they struggled just like we struggle today, to figure out how this new covenant law worked together with the freedom of Christ and his command to love God and to love people. Paul tells us in his letter, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say. For the Israelites, it was simple. You had to do things a certain way or God would get you. But with the freedom of Jesus, the choice was in their hands. They now had to choose. And they thought, so that means I can do whatever I want, right? And to that we say, amen, let's go home. We can be done. (laughs) But we do, we all feel that way sometimes, we say, it's my money, it's my body, it's my marriage, they're my kids, it's my job, and I can do what I want with it. And you do not have the right to tell me what to do or call me out and question my decisions. But Paul wasn't done, he begins to qualify it for us. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You do have the freedom to choose, but not everything is beneficial. Michael gets asked a lot of questions, and there's one question that makes him roll his eyes. Now, he doesn't do this in front of you, but when he tells me about it, he rolls his eyes. (laughs) And that question is this, is there a verse for that? And what people mean when they ask him that question is, tell me if this is something that I can get away with. Because I want to do it, but I don't want to sin. And Michael's answer comes from what Paul says. When it comes to God's will for your life, it's not just about right and wrong. It's not about if it's legal or not. It's not even about if it's sinful or not. Your decisions determine the direction and quality of your life and some things that are legal, some things that aren't even sinful, are not beneficial. A question we ask around here all the time is, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? In light of your future hopes and dreams. This question has really stuck out to me because I'm not always thinking about my future. It's easier to think about what I want right now. And it's this question that brings so much clarity because what is okay for some people may be unwise for me. Instead of asking yourself, is it wrong for me to do this? Maybe you should ask yourself, is it beneficial for me to do this? And the answer to that question is personal to you. Next, Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Constructive means something that helps to improve, promotes further development or growth, to build. Something that I'm guilty of is thinking, I'm good. I am good. I'm a good mom. I'm a good wife. I'm a good person. But what I forget is that I am under construction. God is building me into the image of Christ. And sometimes the decisions I make get in the way of that. As Kate, as a human being, I'm good. But that isn't the standard. I am being made into the image of Christ. And every decision I make, not everyone, builds me towards that goal. Sometimes the decisions I make, they aren't bad, they aren't sinful, but they don't build me towards being like Christ. So this is the part of, of the sermon where the pastor puts in some like, really good illustration to tie this all together, make it all make sense. I asked Michael if he could help me think of an example of this in my life, and he just said, is this a trick question? So he was no help to me. But I started thinking about it, and I, I did think of something. I'm lazy. My idea of the perfect night is to come home, wrap up on a blanket, sit on the couch, and not have to talk to anybody for the rest of the night. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Obviously, Michael is different from that. And sometimes when he tells me we have this to do tonight, I think, I do not want to. I don't want to serve. I don't want to talk to people. But then I think about it, and I know it is what God wants for me. This is how God is using me to be more like Jesus. And it is good. It's important. God wants me to make a difference, and this is how he is using me to do that. God doesn't want me to just sit on the couch and watch Netflix. There are better things that he wants for me and from me. This? This is not something that I wanted to do. As Michael alluded, I'm doing this because I said something to him and he said the people need to hear it from you. So. Here I am. I'm doing something that I don't want to do because I know that God does. When is the last time that you did something that you didn't want to do, but you knew it was what God wanted for you? That's a tough one. Then Paul lays down a standard. And it is a standard for every follower of Christ. And again, it wasn't a black and white rule. This was a lifestyle change. It was another way that we could love God and love our neighbor. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Not only should our decisions be beneficial and constructive, they should be made with others in mind. If it is only about me and not for the good of others, it is probably not the wise thing to do. I read it put another way. The highest principle of conduct and of Christian liberty is not self-expression but consideration for the good of others. I'm going to read that one more time. The highest principle of conduct and of Christian liberty is not self-expression, but consideration for the good of others. Culture is full of self-expression. And Paul is telling us that a freedom enjoyed at the expense or detriment of others is an an abuse of freedom. For the Christians in the room, This is where the love God part of the new command comes in. We cannot love God without loving people. And our goal in everything that we do should be to bring the kingdom of God to light. Since I'm preaching and not one of the pastors, I'm going to say something that they can't. (laughs) We expect our pastors to put other people first and to put themselves second we do all the time my father in laws a pastor my sister-in-law is a pastor my husband's a pastor I see how much we expect them to put other people first but the thing is that is not a call for pastors that is a f- call for followers of Jesus and if we did that more often they wouldn't have to as much Our freedom to do anything is limited by our love for people. Paul refused to do anything that would create difficulties for people who were not yet Christians, or isolate those who were already followers. And our goal should be the same. Jesus' intentional silence on certain issues wasn't meant to exclude, but to include. Any question we ask is covered, but your primary question should not be, what is the most satisfying and desirable to me? Your question should be, what will bring honor to God and to his kingdom? So when you are trying to figure out the right thing to do, I want you to ask yourself these three questions. Is it beneficial Will the consequences of my decision be favorable and result in good? Not just for me, but for others? Not just for me, but for the kingdom of God? Is what I want to do constructive? Is this building me towards being like Jesus? Will this decision serve a useful purpose growing the kingdom of God? Is what I want to do for my good or for the good of others? Because ultimately, it's not about me. It's about God and it's about people, because what I am called to do is love God and love people. Imagine if we, imagine if our families, imagine if we taught our kids to think about what is beneficial, what is constructive, and what is best for others. So many issues would disappear if we thought this way. And the thing is, if you call yourself a Christian, this is the standard. This is who we are called to be. Paul reminded Corinth of that, and he's reminding us of that today. Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the freedom that you have given us through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you will help us to live a life that is beneficial, that is constructive, and that has others in mind, God. We pray all of these things.